everybody. How you doing? Jeff Openshaw here from This Week in Mormons. Nice of you to join us this week. We are always so thrilled that you take the time to, to be a part of this little little niche podcast with niche people doing niche things. It's, it's a wonderful feeling. And I thank you for taking the time to listen in. I'm joined this week by... Sorry, uh, can I introduce you in the sarcastically mean way I was about to, Devin? Yes, go right. I, I am. Jo- I am joined this week by failed congressional candidate <laughs> Devin Thorpe. Yeah, yeah, it's good to be here, Jeff. It's a thrill, and uh, just just so you know, um, uh, it is much better to be a failed candidate than a candidate. Now, I, I think I, it would be better to be a successful candidate. But just the other day, I, you know, I kept saying to my wife last week, man, our life is, life is so good. This is, life is just great. And I was happy all the time. And finally, Gail's looking at me like we're in the middle of a pandemic and life is hard. You don't have a job. And you're like, all the time, what, like that life is good. And then it kind of hit us, right? Uh, the campaign was like really hard and just not campaigning made life seem great. <laughs> so... Anyway, so let's, it's good to be. Let, let, it's it's good to have you. If you don't mind, I would love to dissect this just a little bit. I I know we're we're a little tired of political news, everybody. Yes, I yes. completely understand that. But I did. I, I've wanted to follow up with Devin since the election, just since we've been following this during the year. Um, now, you would never have said this, I'm sure, while you were still running, of course. But like realistically. How did you think things would go? But and then honestly, though, did you? Because I, I think you, you, I'm not going to say you lost, but Curtis still won by like 30 points or something like that, right? Yeah, it, um, it was worse than what, that. Um, but but was yeah, that ex- was that margin expected, or did you feel like you did accomplish something valuable in terms of movement for your cause for your purpose? Yeah, the, the only victory I can claim is that we got somewhere, and I haven't you know, check the final, final count, but we got somewhere in the range of 10 to 20,000 more votes than the last Democrat who ran for this seat. But the Republican vote voter turnout was so high that notwithstanding that improvement, I got a lower percentage than the last guy. So, you know, I got enough extra votes to fill, you know, Vivint Arena at a jazz game yeah, and, and still did did not do as well percentage wise as the last guy, just because uh, the Republicans in Utah showed up. Boy, I think I I haven't seen final data on this, but this is probably the highest voter turnout of my lifetime in Utah. Wow. Yeah, it it was phenomenal. Everybody well, voted, and Everybody that's voted. and even if we don't like if you don't like the outcome because of the you know political direction. That's still a good thing that turnout was better. It's great yeah. when people are participating oh, yeah. in the democratic process, regardless of anything. Absolutely. Like that, absolutely. And that's and, very important. Uh, so it is, it was, it's great. And uh, I'm thrilled, but uh, you know, I did go into, because there'd been so little polling, uh, only one poll in the whole uh, general election cycle. And it was, two months before the election. I, we really went in without any idea how close it would be. You know, we'd been doing a bunch of television, radio, digital ads. I mean, we'd done a ton. And yeah. so we had really convinced ourselves that there was a chance, albeit unlikely, there was a chance we could win. And so if you're going to the the night thinking there's a chance we could win and, and there's a chance we would do badly, but and then somewhere along the line is where you'd expect to be between those two points. Uh, the fact is uh, the outcome we got was nothing like what I was expecting. It was, it was very disappointing. And, and I had booked uh, an interview with the Deseret news for five minutes after polls closed. And I did not successfully pull up the results on my computer before I took the call. So I had to hear from him oh, the results and then react uh, to those results for him. That was a little bit stunning, a little bit hard. Uh, I will confess, you know, to, to hear uh, I had lost by a lot. Um, 
and uh, and react to that uh, because we really did. We ran a campaign like we could win, and and believed uh, at eight o'clock that night that it was a possibility. And at eight o five, reality smacked me in the face like a two by four. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you got ninety six thousand votes. Yeah, which yeah. is still like that's something. So yeah, you. I've got the results here. Yeah, John Curtis got sixty eight point eight percent. You won twenty six point eight percent. So that's a forty two point swing. Yeah. Um, but it's it's the district you're in is you know it's yeah pretty it's bad. so yeah you know I the honest truth is if I had been a better politician I wouldn't have run. Uh, it was only because I was naive enough uh, as a first timer to think that people can be persuaded that that uh, I could raise more money. You know, I made thirty thousand um, fundraising calls during my campaign, yeah. And so we ra- raised an average of uh, about six dollars and ten cents per call. Uh, um, that's a really slow way to raise money, let me tell you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, t- to win, uh, we would have had to have raised uh, 10 times as much money as we did. Wow. And we kind of knew that going in uh, and then kept convincing ourselves we're really being efficient and savvy with our messaging dollars. But uh, yeah, 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 no, yeah. It, well, takes, maybe- it takes a lot of money convince people it really really does so did uh did you and ben mcadams just get together and have an o'duels and call it a call i I have uh expressed my thoughts to ben and he's accepted graciously what's happened he's just a great guy Um, he gave a wonderful speech he he had to give a great great concession speech i love good concession speeches yep so he yeah he gave exactly the right message he did and uh, so it'll be interesting to see how how uh, Congressman Owens does in that seat. Uh, I wish him well. There we go. Well, it's fun to recap recap this. And I think most election news might be behind us, you know, folks, at this point. We, we know that yep. Latter-day Saints still voted for the incumbent, but it all, it seems we're looking at a new new presidency here coming in in January. So we'll yep. see how The uh, General Services Administration in the last five hours or so as we record this did... Uh, acknowledge the outcome yes. of the race. They, that, they did. So that's going to happen. And the real question will be, will Latter-day Saint votes be taken for granted in two years during the midterms? Yeah. Or, or will we matter once more? That's what we'll be curious to see, everyone. Who knows? Who knows? But we'll try to give you a, a break from too much more politics. And frankly, I don't think there's a lot that's going to be directly, you know, unless Mitt Romney, of course, gets appointed to something. If Everyone wonders if it'll happen, you know, reach across the aisle. Yeah, I think he has, he has said uh, he's not interested. Oh, of course he's not. He's, he's got four, he's got four more years on his term in Utah to make people like him again. So (laughs) I think he's, he's beloved in Utah. Not that there aren't haters, but, uh, but if the election were held today, nobody could beat him. He, He is unbeatable. I could beat him, Devin. I believe people can change. I can change minds. (laughs) <laughs> go for it man thank you uh so l- grab bag of stuff this week but i feel like we might as well just lead off with what has to be the main story of the week because it was it was hyped up a lot president nelson gave his message of of hope and peace uh last friday and i was so curious about this going into it um Namely, because we've seen a lot of these similarly shot videos in recent months of members of the Quorum of the Twelve, you know, the same lighting, the same framing. Mm-hmm. And I so I, I, I just wondered, is this going to be a similar thing with President Nelson? Because the other ones just sort of dropped. They didn't say, all right, Elder Gong, get ready, everybody. Next Wednesday, 11 a.m. Mm-hmm. Mountain, it's going to happen. Nothing like that. So I was I was really wondering, like, is this going to be anything beyond that? Is this going to be some sort of a bigger address? Because they they built it up quite a bit. Uh, for this message of hope and healing. That's actually what it was. And sure enough, it was President Nelson in the, in the similar uh, situation. But it was great. I loved being able to sit there. You know, my I was sitting there with my family. My kid was thankfully on his lunch break from school, from kindergarten. And we all got to sit there and watch it. It was only about, what, 10 minutes long, I would say, just about. Yeah, 11 and, minutes uh, long, but Yeah, very short. 
And so a lot came out of this. You know, I, I thought, I'm sure you'll have plenty of thoughts, Devin. Overall, it was great. You know, we talked the pan- oh, yeah. in, in some, the pandemic is terrible and we're and it's a slog and we are working through this and it is very easy to feel just full of despair and frustration right now. And uh, one thing I really appreciated was how much he spoke about uh, his own children. Even he's lost two of his daughters, yeah. you know, and no parent, no parent wants to bury their own kid. Yeah. And he, and he spoke about the, the pain he felt and, but also how he came out of that. He spoke about the pain he felt when he lost his first wife and then how much his second wife, Wendy has, has also brought joy uh, to, uh, to his entire life. And I also love that he said a prayer for us. It was cool. It was, it was super, super cool and something we didn't expect. Um, and then, of course, along with it came the challenge, which we'll get into. But De- yeah. Devin, what were your thoughts on President Nelson? Well, I, 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 I agree with everything you said. I thought there were, there were two things that he pointed out that I really appreciated. Um, he talked about uh, not only the number of people he had saved as a surgeon, uh, doing that work, but also mm-hmm. the num- he mentioned that there were many that died at you know despite his treatment, uh, and I thought that took courage and humility, and I thought it was profoundly important. Um, and I don't want to you know beat this horse too badly, but I I think it's just nice when our, our leaders acknowledge their fallibility. Uh, because I don't think we as Mormons believe in infallible leaders uh, doctrinally, but in practice and culturally, we kind of do. And it bothers me. So I was really thrilled to hear him talk about losing people um, because of that really, I mean, what a great way to connect with us as human beings uh, and to show us that uh, we don't have to be perfect uh, at our jobs even. Uh, to be loved by our Heavenly Father. And then even more profoundly, he talked about uh, when his wife had passed away, and he's talked about this before. This isn't new. But again, the same kind of message. There I am, uh, a cardiac surgeon, and my wife has a heart attack in front of me, and I could not save her. And you can imagine how heartbreaking that would be for him, and the, the courage and humility to talk about that. Really, very, very moving and, and, and really a profound observation. And I just think it makes him so relatable uh, as a prophet, as a leader. And, and I think this message was largely intended for uh, people who are not of our faith, right? And so to that audience, that kind of messaging, I think, is essential. Because instead of pounding the table uh, and saying that by divine investiture, I never goof, he's saying, here, in fact, uh, is the reality of my life. I suffer pain the same way you do. Uh, I, so I thought it was really profound and important. I, I've been, this is a bit of an aside, I've been so, in many ways, surprised by the Nelson years. You know, over the past almost three years. Oh, yeah. It has not, it has not been what I, what I, to my complete fault, expected it to be when President yeah, Monson passed too. away. Um, it's been remarkable. And that's, and this isn't just COVID related, but I think COVID has been a whole other thing. I mean, it's been basically a third of his time as church president. We've been dealing with that. But it's been, it's so interesting to watch the way President Nelson has operated. You know, we, we, spoken at length on the podcast before, I think sometimes prophets are, some are sort of like caretaker prophets and some are ones who like to shake it up a little bit. Because uh, we know that everyone leads, of mm-hmm. course, with their own thoughts, their own even mm-hmm. biases in a way, and we study things out and then we seek the Lord's guidance. And although I'm not a prophet, I have to wonder if in many ways, Heavenly Father and Christ are just kind of like, about a lot of the minutia we get into is like far as how we run the church, if they aren't as super concerned about it. Like, you know, if the church leaders just say, we need to do come follow me. This is a good idea. This should help us learn better. Let's see if the, how the Lord feels about it. And if the Lord, Lord's probably like, it's great. Yeah. Glad you want to do this. That sounds awesome. Um, yeah. But the things, the way President Nelson has innovated during his time, but the way he's, like you said, he's done it in such a personal way. I don't think he's ever felt like someone who's just like a cool, uh, 
well, I was going to say, like a disruptor in a way. And that's what makes him stand out. It's also the fact of just how relatable he's been. Yeah. At, you know, he's this nonagenarian that's as sprightly as can be. Yeah. And he's and he's just so real. And I just love that so much. And that's not taking anything away from President Monson. I think President Monson was more of, a, I'd say, like the caretaker type prophet, other than the missionary age changing. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of boat rocking during the Monson years. Um, and it was fun. It was fine. And President Monson was wonderful. And we loved him so much. But it's so amazing the verve President Nelson has and what he brings to it. And it reminds me a lot of the excitement we had during the Hinckley era, uh, for example. Yes. In a different, in a different way. And he was also... Uh, similar age. President Monson yeah. was quite a bit younger. He was, he was. And so we mentioned, you mentioned, you know, how this relates to other people as well. And, and President Nelson gave us this challenge to give thanks, which makes sense. And of course, the timing of this, this is the week of Thanksgiving mm-hmm. here in the United States. That also makes mm-hmm. perfect sense. But I love the way he framed it. He was just saying, look, we're so wrapped up in COVID right now. I mean, you get it. Like the we are... T- ripping apart at the seams right now as a society. It's just, it's a tough, tough time. And this, unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's getting any better anytime soon. Um, and he encouraged us just to instead use our social media. And by the way, I, can I tell you how happy I was? I was worried he's going to tell us to fast from social media to get away from negativity. <laughs> and, when, and when instead he told us to like refocus our efforts, I was like, oh yes, good, good. I don't have to stay away from it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but instead, used our posts. I don't remember if he laid it out specifically saying like have a daily post about something positive. But he just said use he your did. social media as a. And that's well, what I don't remember. He it for the next post- seven days, and that's, I think that's we, what I mean. He's, he's we understood it to mean daily for seven days, but maybe he yeah. didn't mean that. I guess what I mean is I see a lot of people posting now who are like today's post is blank. Yeah. Whereas I think right. as far as you know, it's really meaning for seven days post all you want. You could post twenty posts a day about gratitude if you want. It's not like you have to have your official daily post on gratitude. Yes. yes. Um. But he said, give gratitude and like, see if you don't feel better, basically, was what he challenged us to do. Yeah. See if you can focus on that for the week and not get wrapped up in the other stuff. And if you don't feel better. And boy, Latter-day Saints just answer right away, man. I mean, you go on Facebook within 20 minutes and it was just like, I am grateful. I am so grateful. <laughs> like everything yes. was was just going. And it's been, it's been fun to watch. I actually think it's helped my mood even just oh, a little yeah. bit. Even if I'm expecting it right now, it's still great. I think the 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 exercise uh, is intended uh, to help the individual posting more than the individuals who see it. Yeah, um, I agree. And and I think it has the potential to have a profound impact on us. And I think seven days uh, and you know doing it at least once a day is a really good pace because uh, it's pretty easy to think of something to be thankful for every day. You know, some people are getting a little bit silly, I think. Like uh, Gail, my wife, was telling me about a post she saw. Where somebody said he was thankful for bread and all the different kinds of bread, including pretzels. <laughs> That's okay. I, I don't know how genuine that was intended to be. It struck me as maybe being intended a little bit tongue-in-cheek, and I think that's okay. But but I think we, we do benefit, you know, the, 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 the psychology, and I'm not a psychologist, but I've, you know, read a lot of that sort of stuff because you know like like humans i struggle and um and i think the the science is pretty clear that uh you know doing things like writing down things we're grateful for will improve our mood and help us through and people are struggling so the ones who will take his advice will generally not universally but generally they'll really benefit from it um and uh, so I've been trying to do it, um, you know, every day trying to post. Me, uh, me too, I, I, yeah. I, I'm sensitive to the fact that some of our non-LDS friends are a little anxious about this on a couple of levels. And <laughs> but, yeah, that's a, that, that's a good segue. It, yeah, I think, you know, I think one of the issues, and I'm not sure that, you know, the, the pushback may be on several levels, but one level is, that I think people are a little nervous, even though to me it's sort of a moving sign of our community, our faith in a prophet, that when the prophet says, use your social media to give thanks, it happens immediately. Immediate you said 20 minutes, but it, you know, some people were faster than that. And and so like one of my non-member friends said, 
I'm not exactly sure what happened, but obviously somebody gave a talk and told Mormons to give thanks. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, uh, it, it is inspiring to us, but I think there is also another side of that, especially in Utah where people feel a little bit threatened by living in a community where one person can make one request and immediately hundreds of thousands, immediately hundreds of thousands of people respond. Um, and that's, you know, uh, fine when, when the, when the request is positive or benign, but I think to, uh, non-members, there's an aspect of that. That's a little scary that, uh, prophet might ask people, Mormons to do something they, they as non-members might feel isn't fine. Yeah, that's true. I, so I don't know if you saw this, Devin, but today we published a meme that had gone around in lots of different areas. We didn't make it. Um, but it's, I just thought it was funny. It's a picture. It looks like it's some kind of prep school girls or something like that. But all it shows is there's a woman holding up what appears to be a sousaphone or a tuba, rather. I think it's just a tuba. Mm-hmm. And the bell of the tuba is just like completely over another girl's face who's standing against a wall. Does that make sense? So (laughs) a girl's leaning against a wall with the tuba right in front of her face and the other one's holding it. And then the caption, so so then then there's some captioning and it has um, church members are the ones holding up the tuba. Right, right. And then then the person on the receiving end of the bell of the tuba just says innocent heathens. Yes. (laughs) Great. And then it says hashtag, hashtag give thanks. Yeah. I mostly just think that's funny. I like. I do think there's there's an element of truth there that it's something to think about because if you're not a member of the church or if you're not involved in the church anymore, obviously you suddenly see this deluge of just give thanks everywhere, and it's easy to wonder why weren't you giving thanks before? Yeah, why is everyone giving thanks now? But I thought the meme was mostly funny. But it cracked me up on our feed if how many people there were. Who were com- who were just like mad that we posted this as if like oh twin made it a whole three days before they decided not to be into that whole follow the prophet thing. <laughs> I'm like that's not like really what that's not really what we're saying here. We're yeah, still we're, yeah. I think give thanks is great and we should embrace it. Yes, and we're all about following the prophet, but we have room to acknowledge that it might seem peculiar from those who were not in the know of that ten minute devotional that yeah, we received yeah. from the prophet. And, and um, if you're in D.C. You know, chances are, if you're a random bloke in D.C., you'll just see a little bit of that, and it won't at all be uh, confrontational or offensive in any way, shape, or form. It would be entirely positive. But if you're a a random, you know, former Mormon or non-Mormon in Utah, it could it could feel very different. Yeah, it definitely could. Um... And to be clear, I think this is great. It's a great thing that people are doing. I've enjoyed yes. seeing what people are thankful for over the past few days. Uh, yes. we do run we do run the risk like anything else of it becoming either rote or you could inadvertently make it into like humble bragging a bit about some of the things you're thankful for. Yes. And that is also an area where I think it can make some others potentially feel uncomfortable. And I have I've been surprised to see some people in my feed, uh, I think many of whom are no longer participating in church, um, who've explained why this actually grates on them. Because like you said, this has this has appeal outside of our faith even. Let's just all be grateful. And, and yeah. President Nelson even mentioned, it wasn't just the church saying gratitude is good for your mental health. He said like health professionals agree yeah. having gratitude is important. He even framed it in a secular context. Absolutely. And, um, but this is for some people hurtful because the, I think most of them have commented along the lines of like the church has betrayed me in the past basically and i don't feel great about it so it's very weird for them to tell me to just like be grateful now in this case so there are people who are feeling that way yeah um and imagine you know imagine that you lost your daughter last month to COVID. yeah exactly and your mormon neighbors are all tweeting how grateful they are uh, exactly and i think it's that's a tough spot to be in because i'm not here to tell anybody how to feel i do think the important thing to remember is president nelson was saying we've all got stuff we're suffering through Yes. Try to find your blessings and and talk about them publicly. Yeah. Because um, I did see some people who said like, this is tone deaf, especially this year, especially right now. Like this is, why are we talking about what we're grateful for? And I'm kind of like, well, that's the point. Like we're all having a hard time. Let's pivot. Let's pivot. Let's pivot. Yeah. And do something yeah. differently. And I think, you know, for those who experience this 
outside of little Utah. And, you know, I live in Utah where, you know, I, I feel like Utah is the world, right? But you get outside of Utah and very few other communities and, and you would experience this just as you should, just as the prophet intends, right? It's the leaven in the bread. It's the salt yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that makes the food savory and delicious, right? It's just a sprinkle in your, to, to be reminded that uh, not everything in the world is bad and that there is good and there are reasons to be thankful. I mean, that's that's how most people, the vast majority of the people in the world will experience that. Um, and, that's, know, and, and that's a, the hope. And a tiny fraction of 1%, uh, you know, of folks, and I don't mean to d- dismiss them, but, but as we think about kind of the gr- global perspective, Utah is not that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So everyone, please keep it up. I've enjoyed it very much. It is, it's very, it is easy. I think with this to drift into humble brag territory, even one that I posted yesterday. So I realized I, I, I wanted to talk about how grateful I was for like diversity, especially in the world of food. Like I'm genuinely grateful that we have so many interesting foods and that's a lot of that is the result of immigration and all sorts of things. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But even as I posted, I posted a lot of pictures of like things I've made over the years that apparently if you have Google photos, by the way, you type in the words food and yeah. it actually automatically <laughs> yes. showed me pictures of food that I've taken, which I thought was Yes. Really I love Google um, photos for that kind um, of power. Right. I, I was, I, yesterday I went to check. I was like, well, show me this. Like, is it going to be tagged and metadata somehow knowing this is food? And sure enough. Uh, yep. So even when I posted that, I was genuinely posting it because I'm grateful for the diversity around us. But I also worried like, could this be interpreted that I'm bragging about like how, you know, gastronomically refined I am and how interesting I am. Uh, and I certainly hope nobody took it that way, but that's something to be conscious about, you know, as we don't make it about you, uh, even though we're posting about our gratitude. So I'm curious to see what else we'll, what else we'll have this week. Um, on Thursday, I'm going to post that I am grateful for the pilgrims. I don't know if I'll say there you that, go. Actually, I actually don't know what else I'm going to do this week. It's a seat of my pants stuff, Devin. Yes, I don't know. Yes, yes, and I don't know about you, but I've been uh, rotating mine around my social media platform, so you won't see a whole bunch of give thanks posts on my Facebook because one day it's on my Twitter, one day it's on my Insta, one day it's on my Facebook. Wouldn't you rather post to all of them at the same time? Don't you want to? to smother the world with your gratitude? <laughs> no, I'm into the salt leaven analogy. That's my approach. <laughs> leaven my friends with a little gratitude. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. Otherwise this week we have plenty of random uh, other news. Yeah. There. Yeah. Uh, I don't really know which one's the focus. I'll, I'll, I'll throw this one out here from Jana Reese just because it's sort of related to uh, gratitude in a way. Yeah. So a new study, a new study from Wallet Hub, which is a website devoted to financial news and strategies and things like that. Uh, a new study shows that Utah is the most generous state. This is Jana Reese reporting on this. And before anybody gets mad, this is not Jana really opining much in an op-ed sense. She's mostly just reporting on the study, okay? She's not really railing against anything. Um, Utah does really well in terms of like highest percentage of donated donated income, highest volunteer rate, highest percentage of population who donate money. Um, all expected in a, in a world of tithe payers, more or less, right? Mm-hmm. When, when Utahns represent about 60% or Mormons are about 60% of Utah's population. Uh, but one area where they did come in lower, which is also understandable, uh, is that Utah was second to last, 49th in terms of basically the number of charities housed in the state per capita. And I think that is because the church has an overwhelmingly dominant role in the charity space in Utah. Yes. You know, And so everyone is just donating their tithes and tithing counts in this study. So their tithes and their offerings, and those are going to the church for the church to do what it will, as opposed to elsewhere, like Vermont, which has the most charities per capita because it probably has a bunch of random 501.3.Cs that are doing their thing and everyone's just donating to stuff. Yeah. So I think this is cool to see. It's not totally surprising. I don't, I don't, it doesn't, uh, she doesn't go into detail on like what the gap is between first and second place or something, for example. Like, is, it, is Utah just way out ahead because so much of its population is giving up 10% of its income to charity? Yes. Uh, now, yeah, it, it isn't necessarily a bad thing, but new no, no, data that if you, on the money front, if you back out the church, Utah is pretty typical 
in terms of its giving. If you if you say that giving to the church doesn't count, which of course is an absurd assumption, but uh, it does. But but it would be curious to see data for what members of the church are doing outside of paying their tithing. For yeah, example, so I think they're the typical of the rest of the country. Is what I'm saying. That you know that that is th- something that has been looked at, right? And so I don't have the studies in front of me, but so but, Devin, quick, l- let me l- as a Utah then. Do you feel it's fair then? Is it is it uh, is giving the ten percent and tithing, which is in some ways passive, is that enough, or should we remove that from the equation and say try harder, Utah? It should not be removed um, at all. It 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 is fully valid uh, because uh, church giving is counted everywhere else in the country, and church giving is most of the giving in all the high giving states. Um, the high giving states are all religious states where there's a lot more church giving. So like in the deep yeah. South. So I, I think it's a fair apples to apples comparison. Um, but if you're running a nonprofit in Utah, um, you know, the pro is that the church is there to help and often does uh, with donations. The the church is there carrying part of the load that nonprofits do in other states. Uh, but you are not blessed with a magical flow of money in Utah because Utahns are so generous. Now, I will say that it's different on the volunteer side. The volunteering calculations typically include, and I'm not sure of this study, but typically these volunteer studies include things like teaching young women or teaching Sunday school and those kinds of activities. But even when you back out church-related volunteering, Utahns still volunteer the most. And that is remarkable. Good for uh, them. Yeah. And I have seen that over and over again in my life, right? You know, you go to a church function, the function ends, and everybody, almost without being asked, uh, sometimes literally without being asked, the chairs in the room are picked up and put away. Even if, you know, it doesn't matter if there's a thousand chairs to be put away. Uh, it's hard to get out of the building before the chairs are up um, because everybody helps. And it just happens. Bam. It just happens. And Bam, you go like to, Emerald. Yeah. It, it, yeah, exactly. You go to a, a non-LDS function anywhere outside of Utah, and there are a lot of chairs in the room, and no one can figure out how to fold up a chair. It can't be done. It's the physics of folding up a chair are unknowable and everyone walks out and hired people have to put away the chairs. Um, even at a well, nonprofit. That's another issue of how we should have paid custodial staff, but that's okay. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. But it's, it's a great, uh, I, I think Utahns really are generous with their time. The, 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 the church culture does change us. It does cause us to be uh, more generous with our time and volunteering. And I see it in Rotary a lot. I want to be a little bit careful, but I'm an active Rotarian president of a club and I can see a pattern. It's not universal. Some of the best Rotarians are not LDS, but but there's a little bit of a pattern I can see of, of uh, those who uh, have been raised in the church, even some who are not still church attenders, have that cultural value of, of we just give more. There we go. Time. Thanks, Devin. Time. All right. What else we got? Okay, we should probably talk about the Black 14 and the uh, church coming together on the food donations. Um, You know, the Black 14 is the kind of nickname given to uh, some protesters in, I think it was 69, on the Wyoming football team, right, who uh, were unhappy with the church's policy on blacks in the priesthood. Uh, and of course, that policy changed nine years later in 1978. But in '69, uh, they were very outspoken, and they were refusing to play BYU uh, in a football game that season, and they were kicked off the team as a result. Um, the politics of the era being what they were, um, well, I think the outcome would wanted, be different today. But and allegedly, they wanted to wear black armbands during the game, and their coach would not approve it. And he just sacked him from the team on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's crazy. But uh, since those days, one of the 14 did join the church and, and apparently all 14 
got together with uh, the church in a formal effort to um, uh, support a food drive. Uh, and so very cool, very cool to see that coming together. Uh, and, you know, it's, a, it's a, an important symbolic reconciliation. And, uh, you know, we, we can't do enough, I think, um, in that regard, right? Both symbol and substance need to, to go hand in hand in um, rebuilding relationships with the African-American black community. Absolutely. And it's great they partnered on this. That, that's what the wonderful thing about this story is. Like, It's been obviously many, many years since this happened in the first place, since the incident. But I like that time can heal wounds, and I like that we can look at the greater good and uh, see what we can do to help people rather than just dig up uh, the past, for example. So let's let's uh, move to something much more substantive. Yes. Uh, let's talk me about there. the real housewives of Salt Lake City. Oh, geez. Are you one of them, too? <laughs> I don't know what I have to. I have to admit. Uh, Are you watching this show? I, I am watching the show. Oh my I gosh. I do not necessarily recommend it. Uh, but no amount is, of charitable giving rankings is going to undo any of this. <laughs> it has been just uh, so so uh, fun to watch this. Uh, you know. Uh, you know, for me, because I live right here, you know, they'll shoot scenes of people driving around, you know, like running errands in downtown. And I swear, they just drive around in circles downtown. Uh, they're just driving around, driving around, driving around and uh, uh, trying to put together some sort of a narrative. But anyway, it, uh, it, it is interesting. Of course, the, the relevance to the church is the producers have made Mormonism, a central plot line, even though none, none of the women are active members of the church. Um, one describes herself as Mormon 2.0, um, but her idea of what that means is that it's okay for her to produce, you know, she owns a business, a distillery. So she, she produces and of course drinks uh, vodka and, and, uh, I think two or three kinds of vodka and maybe one or two other distilled spirits. But, uh, it's, I think most of us would agree that her idea of Mormon 2.0 doesn't include the typical people we see at church. Now, <laughs> all, all, everyone's welcome, including Mormon 2.0. You are trying to thread this needle so well, Devin. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm failing miserably, yeah, but yeah, it, yeah. it it is interesting. Let's just say, uh, Real Housewives of Salt Lake. None of them will be invited to speak at general conference next. You spring. don't know that. Yeah. I didn't think I'd get to watch teenagers speak either, and that happened. Yeah. So no. should we should we take bets? I think it might be lopsided at odds. I think it might be lopsided. In the spirit of our faith, let yeah. us wager. Yes, yes. In the spirit of our faith. Speaking of Mormon 2.0, let's. Bet. So anyway, <laughs> so the the so with the housewives, you're watching it. But the one thing I've noticed, and I think this is a you're getting at this Vice article, right? That yes, uh, yes. as it says, Mormon influencers are not happy about the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City because of, you know, the way it's representing our faith. And I could totally get that. I don't mind us being a punchline here and there, but it's more when we're just straight up inaccurately represented. And the, like you said, the producers are trying to make the Latter-day Saintdom a major through plot line of the entire show and yes. what it represents. And if it represents us incorrectly, well, then obviously that's upsetting because it's just wrong. You know, so, you know, take issue with, with the facts, but don't just make up your own facts for funsies. Uh, you won't believe this, but the Deseret News did not like the show. Um, they criticized it for making false assumptions that are littered with inaccuracies about the church, including misstating the church's size, 16.5 million members versus 6 million. I don't know if that was just, there was, isn't there like 6 million in the U.S.? Yeah. Isn't that all there? Yeah. So it could have just been. They might have been saying that, but of course, I would I would love that. that that's the thing that zero went on. It's like, no, dang it. There's almost 17 million of us. Our numbers matter. How dare you? Um, I think there's other things that matter a little bit more than that. But apparently, just the uh, influencer realm is just not pleased with this. Even our own twin sisters, who were so looking forward to the show, not thrilled with it. Not thrilled with it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I uh, it does appeal to uh, my more, shall we call them, my secular instincts. There's not a lot uh, about this show that is faith promoting. Uh, so, I would. I don't think anyone's watching it for that exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think they thought they were going to watch. Uh, you know, this this is not. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of one of those. There are all these great church movies, and I can't think of the titles of any of all these great famous church movies. But uh, anyway, that's it, what it's I'm trying not, to think of. Uh, well, I think you're thinking of the Singles Ward, which is the greatest church movie. <laughs> well, I was thinking of the church produced or BYU oh, the, ones, the, the ones that are faith promoting the- stories, like the Cipher in the Snow. I finally remembered the name of one. There you go. And if folks, if you want to revisit any of those, a little shameless plug here, our Latter-day Saint video vlog column, our blog, video vlog, video vault, Latter-day video vault column, re- reviews many of these classic church films. And only about two months ago, we had Merrill Jensen, the music composer for many of these films, on the podcast. You can go back and listen to that. Only a handful of episodes ago, you should do that. Uh Anyway, yeah, this whole thing is kind of funny. What's funny, though, is they actually tried to partner, according to Vice, with popular LDS bloggers and influencers um, who signed on to like help promote the show. And now these people are super upset because they they are contractually obligated to post about this. And then they're getting hit with negative comments on their feed. Like, what are you guys doing? Why are you promoting this? This is this is antithetical to our values. Uh, that's a place you don't want to be in when you're an actual... Instagram influencer or a mommy blogger or whatever you have. Yeah. Uh, and you're making, point. and you're making money from this show. And then at the same time, you're like totally going to alienate your base in the process. And maybe, I, you know, I don't know how much they knew. I don't know if they got screeners or anything like that. They knew what they were getting into, but uh, fun times. I, I fully expect you to report on this show then Devin. I'm very excited. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. keep you posted until my subscription runs out. I'm not sure. I, I have the uh, what happened to, to pay Bravo? for it after I watch all my free Bravo! episodes. Man, I'm just sounding like a cantankerous old person. But back when, back in the day of like the 90s, <laughs> yeah, Bravo, Bravo was one of those cable channels that focused on the art of cinema, <laughs> and everything was very hoity-toity, very bougie programming. And the same thing with like A and E was the same thing too. It was all like like legitimately. It was almost like they were trying to compete with like Masterpiece. You know, there was a lot of highbrow stuff on these channels. And then someone went in there and said, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to put trash on the air because people watch it. And that's worked for them, apparently. Okay, Project Runway is not trash, I guess. But whatever. You get what I mean. So that's that's just sad, man. Like, what's happened? The Learning Channel, when I was a kid, actually had educational programming. It was amazing. I loved it. So I used to watch The Operation. Anyone else watch The Operation? Anybody listening? Let me know. Jeff at thisweekinmormons.com. That was a great show. I'd watch surgeries all the time. My mom thought something was wrong with me. So anyway, <laughs> the uh, church, uh, some other Salt Lake news real quick. The church is into real estate, you know, here and there. We like to build things, um, as is our interest. And that's been a subject of some controversy in the past uh, here and there, even, you know, down to City Creek in Salt Lake City. Because like, why is the church building luxury condos when we could be giving the money to XYZ? But the flip side of it is, as the church builds a large and larger and larger uh, real estate portfolio, it's able to turn that money around that it's invested and use it for even greater good. So it depends on how you look at things. Anyway, on uh, South Temple, the church wants to build an eight-story apartment building. This is just sort of one of these quiet projects I don't think they're making a big deal about. But they want to put it up there, 87 units on five floors above a podium at 151st East East South Temple. Uh, and they want to alter. They want to alter a couple of other buildings. And the big deal is they want to demolish a single-family house at 120 East First Avenue, which is a contributing structure in the Avenue's historic overlay district. I don't have big feelings about this happening one way or the other. There's a picture they have in the article here over at BuildingSaltLake.com, and I don't know what's driving the church to want to put some apartments in right here. But all right, I mean, this is like within a block away from the main church campus. Yeah, it's it's very close to uh, Temple Square, or the expanded Temple Square. Uh, Maybe it'll be housing for seventies. That'd be awesome. Yeah, big dorms for a conference. So that's going to go up in the style of it looks fine. I mean, it's whatever. I hope it'll. I'm sure it'll be great and grand. Um, in other news, this is not a story we're covering here, but I don't know if I've talked about this much with you, Devin. But here in DC. Uh, in Crystal City, the church has also been building a big, tall, like luxury condominium tower in Crystal City. Oh, and 
and the the base two levels are a meeting house, and there's supposed to be a stakes a new stake center. And so the Mount Vernon stake is a stake I used to be in. Bless it, I miss it. I love all of you out there. Um, it's been kind of busting at the seams. They've wanted to build another meeting house and actually split that stake at some point. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I was by there the other week. And it was cool to see it. It's basically done. Obviously, we're not using the meeting house anytime soon, but there's this right there, right on Route 1. There's a big old placard on this corner of this building that has the church's logo. And you can tell that the the bottom levels are clearly LDS chapel structure uh, built. But that's come along. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming there'll be an open house for it at some point. Oh, interesting. And how big, is yeah. the, how big is the building? How many floors if, above if I it? Had, if I had to ballpark off the top of my head, I'd say like 12 stories, maybe. Okay. Um, it might be more than that, but it blends in pretty well with most of the developments there along yeah. Crystal City. If any of you know the DC area, Crystal City is a an exciting realm of. Uh, I wonder if it'll show up on Google Maps yet. Probably not. Nope. It's st- oh no, oh, it's there. Oh, but it's not three D enough. Yeah, I'd give it twelve, thirteen stories maybe. So close to the airport. That's going up too. If the church is just builds little things yeah. here and there, and you get to hear Interesting. about it. Interesting. Well, speaking of building things, the church uh, broke ground on two temples this week. And uh, so one is the uh, um, Bentonville, Arkansas Temple, if I'm reading this right. I think this happened a few weeks ago, but we're going to go with it. Okay. Well, it was in the, uh, you already maybe reported, it was in the Bentonville paper this week, uh, uh, reporting it. Um, And then the other one is the, uh, let me get this right, it's the... um, uh, McAllen, McAllen, Texas. Texas. The the Bentonville, Texas is on McCollum Road. This is flipping. It was too much for my brain to handle. (laughs) That gets confused. McCollum and McAllen. But McAllen, Texas Temple uh, and the uh, Bentonville, Arkansas Temple. So it's great to see that. Um, I love the design for the McAllen, Texas uh, Temple. That's really a cute little temple. It's very cute. It's so cool. I believe the design is pretty similar to the one in Bentonville, if I'm not mistaken. I think they're almost. Are they similar? Yeah, I I think they are similar, but the finish is quite different. Yes, Uh, yes. The finishes are different, but I can tell it looks the same underlying structure. Yeah. Same. And I like the the Texas one more than the Arkansas one. Me too. I'm not sure that it would be enough for me to drive from Bentonville to McAllen to go to the wrong temple, but, you know. Hey, I'm I'm kind of with you on that. I think it's great the Bentonville one's finally going in. If you remember, if you followed our temple predictions for years, we've long called for a temple in that part of Arkansas. Uh, but I think the design just kind of okay. It's yeah, I'm with you. The design for the Bentonville one's just kind of anonymous, and without a Moroni, it's even less distinctive. I think, and so it's just kind of it's just there. It's fine, but it's great for the Saints. And uh, the Bentonville one's extra cool because Elder uh, um, Bednar got to preside over it. He did it remotely, but he has a lot of personal history in the region. He lived there two different times as an educator and was stake president and stuff. So oh. that, that's, yeah, he's got big ties to our Kansas. Well, excellent. Excellent. Uh, as they call it. It is excellent. <laughs> it is excellent. All right. So let's see some other fun, quickie things here. Uh, obviously with December upon us next week, that would be the time for the first presidency Christmas devotional. And this article is a little bit older now. But what we know is on December 6th at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, we will have the first Presidency Christmas devotional once more. Now, as you might imagine, it will be different from what it usually is. It's usually, you know, they have this beautiful stage in the conference center with Christmas trees everywhere and big plush chintzy chairs. And the Tabernacle Choir is above and they sing gorgeous Christmas music and, you know, spiritual thoughts are shared, all those sorts of things. Uh, This year... They will be doing similar things, but there will be a virtual element, as you might imagine, and they will be playing pre-recorded music uh, with, from previous devotionals. Yeah, with Utah at peak COVID, I can't imagine they'll get any of the choir together for this, which is a which is tragic because it's I such know. a spectacular thing what we traditionally do on on Christmas on Temple Square. Uh, it's just this, heartbreaking. To not have and this, of course, show. they had to. Do you actually go to the in person to the Christmas devotional typically? I I, ha, I, I don't typically because you need tickets uh, and they're hard to get. But when I was in the state presidency, I got tickets and was invited and and uh, and you know it's just spectacular. It's just spectacular. 
I would love that. And of course, the actual Tabernacle Choir Christmas concerts they put on, usually the week after that, are canceled as well. This is not happening at all this year. So that's a bummer, uh, expected, but a bummer. But uh, uh, to to make up for it, uh, the Tabernacle Choir was recognized, let's see, by whom? Uh, uh, Gary, Terre Haute, Indiana. No, no, it was uh, England's classicalmusic.com identified the choir as one of the 10 best choirs in the world. They did not rank the 10. They just listed the 10 best in the world. This is brought to you by BBC Music Magazine. So this is legit. It's not just some web. Yeah. And the list is interesting. The other, uh, the other distinguished peers on the list. I mean, you got the Escolania. Esco, I should sort of say this because it's written in Catalan. The Escolania de Montserrat, which is an all boys choir in Barcelona, Spain, um, a choir from Estonia, the choir of King's College in Cambridge, the Mississippi Mass Choir, which I did not know was that uh, venerated. Then uh, St. Paul's okay. Cathedral Choir, the six. A lot of English ones here. The sixteen England, the tallest scholars in England, Trinity College. And Vox Luminis from Belgium. So really, you've got a bunch of England, some Europe, and then they, the There's only American the one on the list. What's this other one on the list that I missed? The Mississippi one. Oh, Mississippi. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, I've been there. I can confirm it's part of the United States, but. Uh, Are we sure about that? I want to give them props for changing their flag, though. Good yes. job, Mississippi. Yes. Well done. Well done on them. I've never heard of the Mississippi Mass Choir, but yeah, they've got a Facebook page. I guess they're in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, and I didn't know they were so amazing. Yeah, I was in Jackson last year. Uh, I tell you, it, you know, it, it's so easy to stereotype the deep south and Mississippi, especially. You were in Jackson, Mississippi last year? Yeah. And then nope. I, I was working on a story for Forbes about uh, fighting poverty here in the United States. And, um, you know, there is still some poverty to fight down in Mississippi. Not that there isn't in Utah, too, but it, uh, it was fun to be down there and meet great people. I've passed through Jackson. I almost say I like to visit uh, state capitol buildings. Mm, yeah. And uh, with Jackson's the capital of Mississippi and the largest city. So I thought about pulling over to check it out, but I'd read that I'd read the town's kind of rough there around the capital, even. And all my belongings were in my car. And I'm not trying to paint with too broad of a brush, but I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that right now. So <laughs> I decided not to do it. Jackson is. The, the remarkable thing I about that is you know, I think of Mississippi as being kind of part of America's tornado alley. And I got talking yeah. with some of the locals about tornadoes. And it was interesting that one of the reference points they used for a devastating tornado uh, and devastating, you know, especially bad tornado geography was the uh, Salt Lake tornado in 1999. Uh, you know, 20 years later, they were still talking about the Salt Lake tornado. That blew me away. Yeah. Now, you're referring to the Salt Lake tornado that deliberately stopped and jumped around to take out strip clubs, if I remember reading correctly. <laughs> That's what people said. That's what I heard. Never mind that it, it ripped out the the tree on Temple Square where my wife and I had, and it, generations of couples had their picture taken. There's this cute little, very rare tree that had been planted on the grounds, you know, a hundred years earlier. It's an old little tree. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. so it, it got ripped out by the tornado, and oddly, this little tiny tree. Okay. Uh, I've got a couple of other, man, so much Utah stuff this week. Whatever, I'm going to plow through some of these. So uh, a semi, this is from KSL, a semi, and to be clear, the driver was hospitalized from this, so we're not making light of that. But a driver of a semi-truck lost control and crashed into another truck, and then the truck continued all the way down the road of 2300 East and at about 2100 South. And it um, crashed into the Plaza Monument. There's a monument for Parley P. Pratt getting into Parley's Canyon. And it just just demolished the statue. The statue just got rocked over. And so if you are a Parley P. Pratt, like aficionado, well, that's what happened. But thankfully, nobody was killed. I mean, this looks like a pretty bad accident. Yeah, it really could have been horrible. Thankfully, the most notable thing about it is that it destroyed this little monument. Yeah. So we've got that. um, But thankfully, hopefully they fix it and everyone recovers. Also, interesting note here, uh, Devin, you mentioned that COVID is surging in Utah, which it is. Yes. Great job, everybody. Um, 
and how it's surging everywhere. So this was a little bit ago, but uh, BYU temporarily closed part of the Harold B. Lee Library because students didn't wear masks. And it's important to note here, though, that the even though the headline says BYU temporarily closes, the front office at BYU didn't have a role in doing this. They let the library call its own shots in terms of how it runs the library. So it's actually the library magistrates, I will call them, um, <laughs> decided to close certain areas because students are not complying with the COVID policy. Now, what's funny, though, is the Harold B. Lee Library Twitter, which does not have a, have a little blue star, so I'm not sure if it's official or not, <clears throat> but um, uh, it's actually a pretty funny Twitter account. It's funnier than it has business being. So it even shows a picture here where it says, due to non-compliance, this area is closed. Thank you to all of you wearing masks. And it, it's written in the first person. Most of you are really helping. I found a few places where people think they don't need a mask. From now on, I'll be closing areas for the day when they aren't following university policy. Now, that's all well and good, but um, I've just cracked up at some of the other things people have. Uh, there's another one later on that says, places to wear a mask, scuba diving, sword fighting your enemies, studying during a pandemic. <laughs> for example. Oh, that's great. Like they've had all these things, like I've, I've seen them put up other tweets that say things like, you can tell very easily that there are some people who have who've only set foot in the study session realm of the library like twice when they were here the entire time they were at the university because that's the only time they needed it or they wanted to find date or things like that. So the library is a famous place to socialize at BYU, but you can't socialize there anymore, folks, if you don't wear your masks and comply. Got to comply yep. so that everyone gets better. So it's a funny Twitter feed, though, everybody. BYU underscore HBLL. It's amusing. Another, another COVID casualty is the church's giving machines. Ah. The last two or three years, the church has been putting out uh, vending machines where you don't take home the item you buy, but you operate the vending machine to make a donation uh, so that the church will do or give a specific item or service uh, somewhere around the world. And uh, uh, really a cool initiative, uh, blessing a lot of people and they've raised a, a good amount of money, a meaningful amount of money. And it really is a, just a, a great way to connect all the tourists on uh, Temple Square to the mission of the church in terms of its humanitarian mission. So it's a cool thing. And sadly, it won't be happening this year. Yeah. And you can still donate, you know, to church charities and things, but you can't even, they're not even like doing it virtually where you could go online and like buy a goat for a kid in Eritrea or something yeah. like that. And they do it. They're just not doing any element of it, which does make me wonder. The giving machines are awesome and they're good PR, but why didn't they just do it online? I don't know. Why couldn't we have just gone online? It's not tangible in the same sense, but I would. I don't know. It would have been fine. I don't know. Whatever. But I'm just sad they're not able to do it this year. Understandably so. Completely understandably so. Yep. All right, talk about Kirby. I know you love Robert Well, Kirby. do you want to do you want to talk about your wife next? No, 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 no. That's last because my wife is the greatest, and the greatest shall be the last. That's okay. That's right? good. It's good. I, I'll, it'd be kind of fun to you know see if see if I could convince you that my wife is better than your wife. That'd be a fun game. But let's talk no. about Robert Kirby just a little bit. She does start her name with a G, which is good. I approve of that. <laughs> yes, uh, you approve of the Gale. Yes, I approve so, of the G. Um, you know there are couple of different controversies about Latter-day Saint leaders getting tripped up with the law this week. And I thought, you know, uh, Robert Kirby, who, uh, you know, some people like him, some people don't, and he's certainly a character. Um, but he's often, uh, I, I think the thing about Robert is he's always trying to be funny and he often is funny. Uh, but the fact of the matter is uh, there's some really deep water uh, behind that. Uh, I, I don't know him personally, but I've heard him speak a few times and, and he really is a thoughtful, profound guy. And, uh, but he said something interesting, uh, and I'll just leave it at this. He said, uh, something important to remember about our fallen icons is the mistakes they made do not necessarily negate the good they did uh, once did or taught, uh, when church leaders prove to be fallible and they always do, the important part is the takeaway for yourself. Um, you know, so we think about what the lessons their failures have for us and not let that impact our opinion of the church. Um, and it's good counsel for those who don't like the church as well. You know, you'll never find 
an organization the size of the LDS Church that doesn't have bad apples. And so uh, finding bad apples should prove nothing about the church. And that should be true whichever side of the fence you might be on. Okay, that might have been the better one to end the show with. That was those are some good thoughts, Devin. No, no, no. Now we should talk about our wives. That's a, that's a good you thought. can you want to Gail doesn't get wife. a segment. I haven't given Gail a segment. What is this? You're not you're not in charge. <laughs> no, I'm not. You talk about your wife. You talk about. I, I'll talk <laughs> no, about no. Gail another time. No, I'll, the, I'll the, Gail the, on the, the agenda another time. I am not about to issue like a soliloquy about my wife or anything like that. No, I this want is just a about, soliloquy about your wife, Jeff. We've a lot of time. For uh, Jeff's wife soliloquy. So let's have it. No, my wife is the greatest. I love my wife immensely. She's a fantastic person who makes me laugh every day. And I adore her like crazy. And she centers me in ways I can't even imagine. She's the best. But um, no, this is mostly, I just wanted to let our listeners know, if you're getting the December issue of The Ensign, some of you might even already have it in person and enjoy it because The Ensign go bye-bye soon and become Methliahona. But if you have the December issue of The Ensign, there's a story on page 14 called Sharing the Savior's Light at Christmas. And if you go to page 16 and you want to see Jeff's wife, she's right there helping an old lady and a rascal grab some fruit at the Macy's in Provo. So, uh, wow. That's now, all. Was that a staged shot or was it? That- yes, it was a staged shot. And it's funny because we, we track this. She's shown up a few times in publications. She did this about 11 years ago when oh she was gosh. almost done living in Utah. So it was originally taken because her picture showed up during a women's conference or a women's session of conference. I back then even it was like the general relief society meeting, um, about service and what have you. So it's a still of her. She's just, she's grabbing some fruit. She's helping the lady. Oh, my good. wife likes to, my wife always tells me, she's like, that woman was not crippled. She got up and walked right off the rascal when we were done. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, so, but, uh, uh kind of royalties does she get when she does that? When they run you don't the- get anything. You do it out of the kindness of your heart. That's There's how you no do. No royalties. That she, you, you're not retiring on the income of the photo appearing again in the ensign. Not that I'm aware of, but if I should need to contact anybody at the church about how they should be covering my property taxes or something. Well, yeah, I'm, we, we may I'm, need I'm to just follow up, make sure they've got your address right. I'm all for it. So anyways, this has popped up periodically over the years. I think it popped up actually during, during general conference a couple of years ago. We were watching and that image popped up. And we, were, we just laughed. So this is me just plugging it. If you just want to just see Jeff's wife, she's just there. That's all. And and Take and and let's review. Uh, is your wife a good wife? I would say she's the good wife, but that's a, that's a television program. <laughs> um, but you approve of the job she's doing. As a wife and a mother. Is that what you're telling me? This is a great conversation, Devin. As a matter of fact, I do approve of the job she's doing as a wife. I'm trying to give you, get you to give your soliloquy on the. I had, you know, I would say exceeds expectations. You know, if I (laughs) exceeds expectations, a rating on a card. (laughs) My wife is awesome. No, I I absolutely adore my wife. They always say, "Marry your best." They say marry your best friend, and in many ways, while I pined away for her before we formally started dating, um, I do look fondly upon the time when we had like a year of just being friends under our belts before yeah. we started dating, and that laid a great foundation for us. And my wife's just a, a wonderful, wonderful, very thoughtful and well grounded person, and that's one of my one of my very favorite things about her because I am I am me, and half of you listening don't even like me, and but my wife likes all of me, and that's fine. With oh, me. that's She's a great. great. She's a great lady and we're lucky to have her and she does a great job with the kids and a great job when she used to work. She does great things at all the things she does and she's a fabulous baker. She makes the best cakes. You are so, so mature. So much more mature than I am. I I am totally whipped. I fell in love with my wife because she was smoking hot and, you know. Are you trying to say my wife is not smoking hot? Because- my wife is smoking hot as well, Devin. Yeah. Okay, she's five seven. She has beautiful wavy curly hair, gr- green eyes that are as green as the moss upon a Swiss Alp. There we and, go. <laughs> You're fantastic. I love it. And, You're the best. And a and a voice whose dulcet tones are even greater than mine. And, and longtime listeners have heard her on the show a few times. My wife has a beautiful talking voice. It's wonderful. Together, we're a beautiful talking family. Why that means my five-year-old has a very chirpy voice, I don't really know because I don't know why he's not talking like me. Well, that, that may change. It may change. I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so because this high-pitched thing has got to stop. I, he's just... <laughs> uh, 
Well, that's unrelated. Wives are great. I'm sure Gail's wonderful too. I hope to some. I think she is. Her. I think she's the greatest living human. That's the. That's my nickname for her. Just simply the greatest living human. Anyway, yeah. folks, we're dra- we're going on and on. My wife is the best. Gail's a close second. And uh, <laughs> any of you listening, your spouses are fine as well, I guess. Feel free to email me, contact thisweekinmormons.com and tell me about your spouse and why he or she is amazing and wonderful. If you want to share gratitude posts, if you want to share sound bites about your spouse, I'm, gonna, I'm starting a service right now. If you go to thisweekinmormons.com, you'll see a little uh, on the menu at the top, a link that says, hear yourself on Twim. You can go there. And you can send us a voicemail. Now, it could be about anything. You could give like a testimonial about the show, what it means to you, anything along those lines, you know, tell us about yourself. If you want to go on there and just like, just speak like hagiography about your spouse, I'll play it on the air. Why not? I'm in that kind of a mood. What what an episode that's going to be. I can be a love service. That's what I can do. Love service right now. Feel a man's hand on me. That's a different episode. (laughs) But... I'm getting nutty, Devin. It's my bedtime. It is bedtime. I think you are right. It is bedtime. Jeff, anyway, thanks for having me. It's great to be great with to you. Great to have you here. Always a pleasure to have you here, Devin. Everybody, we hope you'll go to thisweekinmormons.com. Like we said, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, which we, we use all three, sometimes simultaneously, unlike Devin, but who's to say what we'll put where. And uh, if you haven't read, if you haven't written a review for us, on Apple Podcasts or whatever else. We encourage you to do so. That's great for our visibility, our ranking, et cetera, et cetera. That would be lovely of you to do. So anyway, we hope you have a great week. Thanks for taking the time to tune in. Devin, thank you once more. It's a pleasure to have you here, my friend. And uh, we'll talk to you all soon. So until then, be well, be holy, and be happy.